Are you taking all the right steps to be successful? How do you measure that? Tune in today's show. We're going to open up all of our knowledge and make you an expert on the 11 signs you're going to be a financial success. It's Brian Preston, the money guy, restoring order to your financial chaos, retirement, investing, taxes. You've got financial questions. He's got financial answers. It's Brian Preston, the money guy. But one of the beautiful things about being a financial advisor for successful people is we get to see what makes them tick. And part of that is it's kind of like opening up the curtain to figure out how the most successful people, what are they doing differently than everybody else? And it's that knowledge that I think gives us a unique opportunity to kind of share with our listeners what those skills are and make sure that they can kind of replicate or benchmark those behaviors in their own life. And would you agree, Brian, that even though we work with folks all over the country from all different walks of life who do all sorts of different things, so everybody's story is a little bit different, the common traits and the common thread that make them successful seem to repeat themselves. Would you agree with that? Definitely a trend there. So that's what we're going to be covering on today's show. I feel like I have to hit the timeout button, though, and um, kind of stop the presses, give you guys some updates if you can, um, you know, Humorous for a little bit on some sidebar things we need to share. First of all, Bo's not supposed to be here. Bo is supposed to be uh, paternity leave. Is that the official term I, I, when somebody I think that's is the term? I think because um, you are the the proud papa. That's right. Bo has his second daughter, I and do. by the way, when Bo and his wife have children, they make them big. <laughs> They're biggins because um she was eight pounds twelve ounces twelve ounces twenty one and a half inches first long. one was eight, eight pounds fourteen ounces oh man what are you doing you're supposed to be getting know, bigger we, man we tried to hit that nine pound mark we couldn't do it and here's the funny thing for for all of our listeners because you know you hear all these horror stories and people are in labor for twelve hours twenty hours twenty four hours you've heard all kind of horror stories how long were y'all in labor. Yeah, my wife pushed for about 120 seconds. It was it was a different experience the second time around than the first. So for all you moms out there, or soon to be moms, or one day will be moms, my, my apologies for that story. But this was just the experience was fantastic, and and we recognize it was unique uh, in how this went. But uh, mom is happy and healthy, baby is happy and healthy, and uh, and none of us are getting any sleep right now. So it's a it's a beautiful beautiful thing. So, so, so if the show's off, we'll blame it on the baby and the fact that you're just not getting enough sleep to make it all work. Um, also, you know, before we get back to the, the topic at hand, I wanted to tell you guys two big things have happened for us and the abound and money guy family here that just is, is really exciting stuff. And I feel like a lot of this has to do with you guys don't realize behind the scenes, we have a team. I mean, it's not a big team. I mean, we are a small a small firm with big assets because of you guys blessing us with clients all over the country. But we have a whole team of associates, two associates, um, with, with Gabe and Carter, and then Corinne, who's, um, you know, kind of makes everybody feel really special when, when they come and visit us in downtown Franklin. But we have, I don't know what's in the water. Two things have happened in the last two months. And the fact that our firm was recognized um, between Nashville, Chattanooga, and Memphis as one of the top 10 financial planning firms in this area, which is a huge honor. And then I found out, and what's bad is my team, they totally okie-doked me a little bit. Is they, they said, Brian, did you see that the, the list of Investopedia's list of top 100 advisors came out? You ought to see who's on this thing because I know you're going to know a lot of these people. And so they show me, and in the, in the top 10 has pictures and profiles, and I know, truthfully, I do know a lot of yeah. those guys, which yep. is kind of cool. Um, so 
uh, you know, we're scrolling through and I'm giving editorial comment on all the people. And then there it is. It was my name. It was kind of crazy to see me listed as um, on Investopedia's list. We didn't apply for it. We didn't apply for the top 10 either. I don't know how this stuff is happening. That's why I mean something good is in the water. And I, I just want to thank you guys because I think that hopefully you can sense now that we're up here in, in Franklin, I say Franklin slash Nashville because yep. it's all one big area up here. You know, I have been dedicating a ton of time to make sure that this content is hopefully world class for you guys because I used to have a lot of distractions. I was an elected official and some other things. This is, besides taking care of our clients, this is um, definitely way up on the priority list. And I start feeling like these things are lining up. And I want to thank you guys for if any of y'all nominated us or if you're just a part of um, that that feeling of success that is happening. I feel really humbled. I mean, we we are... We feel really blessed, and that's why we're going to continue just to load you up with as much free advice because, and I know I've said this before, the more successful you, our listeners, are, the more successful we seem to be because enough of you get to that point where you say, this ship has gotten so big, my success has reached a point, I need some professionals, why not work with the team over to Bound, the money guys that, that that I listen to, and then I know the guys who are working behind the scenes on them, they were all must be something to that mindset of the way they look at money. So thank you, thank you, thank you. We're in 37. Now, can 30, we add another 37. one 37. We're getting close we're to getting 38. The, 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 I'm hoping. So, so we're right there. If you want to take the relationship to the next level, check us out. You can go to moneyguy.com. You can also go to Abound Wealth. And we have contact pages on both of those websites where you can um, reach out to us and and just let us know you're interested in continuing the discussion. So let's go ahead and knock this thing out of the park so we can hopefully make even more lists, Bo, because I I know that there's more in the future. We just got to keep doing what we do best. And this is, I wanted to kind of cross-pollinate some of the other cool things that we've got going on within The Money Guy, is that we do blogs now weekly. I don't know if you guys realize that. You know, I know we're known for for being podcasters, but we actually have great content on moneyguy.com where we are blogging weekly. And I was like, you know what? We have so much great content. Why don't I double back and just pick up one of the the great blog posts that we did back in in May that I thought was phenomenal. It was 11 signs you're going to be a financial success. And let's turn this into a podcast, but also just draw a light on the fact that this is a blog that you could have gone and found yourself just by going to moneyguy.com. Now, if you didn't know that we were doing a blog or didn't know that was out there, go out to the website, subscribe on there. All it takes is an email address and we don't bombard you. And then every time we have new content, blog or podcast, you'll get an email in your inbox saying, hey, check out what's new that the team over there at the Money Guys putting together. So, and, and by the way, if you're wondering, where did they come up with this list? Is this benchmarked from some article there? No, this is, we put this together based upon our experience of working with clients. So here, let's jump into to number one on 11 signs you're going to be a financial success. You started investing in your 20s. Bo, this is one of those things you have heard me and all of our listeners who are longtime fans know that one of the 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 road that where the fork in the road moments of my life was when I had that that I can't remember my junior year or senior year of high school. I had the old economics wrestling coach right, right. who um, who had shared with us that if we just save a hundred dollars a month, we could be millionaires by the time we retired. And I remember thinking this guy is crazy. I mean, he's obviously 
been he was in the military too long or he's been wrestling on the mat with the boys too long there's something wrong with this because i worked at hardy's at the time i was a crew leader yeah and i was like i could save a hundred dollars a month yep. so th- he must be wrong because i'd always been told success was or to reach millionaire status that's not something ordinary people can do and if you don't come from money it, it really opened my eyes and, and that's exactly when we say something like you started investing in your 20s and that's the moment that made me realize I could do this. Yeah, for sure. And, and and it really is something that if you can let compounding interests really do it for you by starting in your 20s, giving yourself 30 to 40 years to save for the future, it's going to set you up for the long term. And here, here's the here's the little secret, because if you are somebody who's listening, you're like, well, man, I'm, I'm not in my 20s anymore. Maybe I had to go to med school, or maybe I had some things that kind of put me behind, and I'm in my 30s, or maybe, maybe I'm in my 40s. I always had an investment professor, and I love what he said, was the best time to start investing was always yesterday, and the second best time is today. So even if you are somebody who's not in your 20s or you're not 19 years old, now is still a great time because the most valuable money that you ever save is the first money you save. And that's that's just the law of compounding interest. Number two. You set specific financial goals. There have been so many studies. We even did a podcast on this. Fidelity came out with a study talking about success of retirees based upon how many of them actually created a plan. And there was a direct correlation to those that actually had financial planners and were creating plans for the future that they were just more successful. Now, it might be you could say, well, there's a correlation because there's a propensity if you're proactive with saving and planning that there's definitely those things are, are connected. And I think that's a true statement. I mean, there's a reason. I think there's probably a correlation to people who listen to the Money Guy Show and financial podcasts probably have a direct correlation to being at a higher level of success. So I think that that is a big thing is if you're actually setting financial goals and writing them down, remember that dream is not a goal until it's actually recorded. And then a path to move forward is kind of put in motion. And I think, Brian, a lot of the stuff we're going to share today is going to kind of cover things that we've seen, you know, clients do or other successful people do. But there are two things that I think about right here when you talk about setting that financial goal and actually moving in that direction. When you made the decision to start the company, what was the very first thing that you did when you made that decision? I saved for at least a year. Mm-hmm. I and mean, then, I built up a lot of cash. And when you were building up that cash and saving, did you think about, okay, well, I'm going to go out there and things are just going to be rosy and peachy, or did you come up with a few different scenarios on what it might look like? No. And, you know, that's one of those things we've, we've kind of looked at the, the plan. And, and it's one of the things we're going to be talking about on another project we're working on is that we, you got to create the horror show, which is, oh my goodness, things are not working out like I wanted them to. You go, with the oops, this the most conservative that you can go as possible on the plan. You got to go with a baseline of what you think will probably happen, and then you have a stretch goal of, if, man, if everything lines up and I am hitting on all cylinders, this is where we are. It's great to have three options on that plan, and I think I would. It's not. It doesn't have to be an entrepreneur thing. I think when you go into retirement, we had a retirement meeting earlier today, and and the client because we showed performance and. It's been good. The yeah, last 12 months sure. has been really good. And the client goes, is this something I can kind of count on? And I said, no, no, no. I said, when we do these retirement plans, you'll notice we're using baseline assumptions of like 6% and things like that. We're trying to be as conservative as possible because you want to plan for the worst. And then when good things happen, then it's fun. And then you kind of slap your hands together, rub them together and go, 
what cool dreams can we do now that we're exceeding our expectations on things? So I think that's a great point, Bo. And then the second one that I think of, Brian, is when we talk about setting that specific financial goal, it doesn't always have to be numeric. So a lot of folks think, I want to set the goal to have a million dollars by the time I reach X age. Uh, maybe your goal is, I want to spend more time with my family, or I want to travel more. Uh, and one of our personal stories that I love, Brian, is we we made the decision a number of years ago that we wanted what we do on a daily basis to be very fulfilling, right? Yep. And so what we did is we looked through all of the clients that we were currently working with, and we said, what does our ideal client look like? Uh, not We weren't thinking of anybody particularly, but what does the perfect client look like? We actually wrote that down on a sheet of paper and said, this is the ideal client that's fulfilling for us to be able to help with. And it's amazing that having that written down, I feel like every one of our new clients fits into that mold. And it's an amazing thing how that kind of went hand in hand. Yeah, and I was on, I mean, we got to get to point three here so we don't drag this on for a six hour podcast. But I had a, I was on a phone call with another advisor, very successful advisor yesterday. And he was just asking me because he's, he's had enough success. He's transitioning to where he's pushing his minimums and other things up. And he was asking me some questions about it. And, and I told him, I said, do you have, you know, are you looking at your clients? Do you have an understanding of what type of clients you like to work with? It's exactly what you're talking about, Bo. And I let him know there is a magical thing when you can have a goal that's written down. I don't know if it's subconscious or what it is, but something incredible happens is that things just naturally start moving in the direction. And I think it's just because that brain between our ears is more powerful than we realize. And I even think when you're in that dream state at night getting your your five and a half to seven hours or two hours like you're doing right, right now, yep. Bo. I mean, I think that that thing is trying, if, you, if it's wired right, it's trying to move you in the right direction. So number three, this sounds like a millionaire next door type echo. You live below your means. Oh, I mean, this is talking about, and we just did a show on for scarcity. And I think that this is one of those things that so many people, and they get this wrong in their 20s and their 30s. When they're, You know how that first one was you start saving as soon as possible. Well, if you're screwing up the first one where you're not saving as early as possible, you're probably not doing number three, which means you're living below your means. A lot of people come right out of college with a lot of debt. They get behind, and it puts them in a situation where they never really own their life. They're yep. always working to cover the payments that they have to do every month, and that's just... That's not what builds financial independence. That's not what builds just the financial freedom to have that fulfilling, really, wallet and financial life that you're hoping to build. Yeah, there are two ways that we normally see this. Exactly what you said, folks who load up in debt and live way below their means. But the other place we kind of see this happen, Brian, and this is where it's so subtle, is when we see lifestyle creep. It's the small things that as you have more success, as your income builds up, as things happen, your lifestyle begins creeping to the point to where some of the things you're supposed to be doing, like saving, kind of fall by the wayside. So what's a way that you can really prevent yourself from having a ton of lifestyle creep as you move through your career? Well, for scarcity and paying yourself first, I mean, that is without a doubt, every time I get a pay, you know, it's one of those things, and and Bo, you've picked on me because I'll sneak stuff in on you. We're pretty, because we're business partners now, you kind of know what I've got going on financially. I know what you have. And I'll lament about how poor I am sometimes. And and you know that some of that is artificial because I have... I go and squeeze things. When I get a little bit extra money, I put a little bit more. I square a little bit more towards my monthly savings, towards investments. I might, like you were, I had to confess to you when we were talking about that I've got paying my mortgage off faster than I told you I was. Cause we, we've, believe me, all those arguments you guys have about, Hey, should you really pay a 30 year mortgage off early? Because 
some advisors that I look up to and other things say you should never pay it off. And I recognize that. I know as low as my interest rate is, I should never because I could go invest that money and make a difference. But there's a part of me, I'm just like you guys. I, as long as I'm checking the boxes that I'm saving the 20 to 25% for retirement and still funding the kids' college, the hopeful weddings, and I'm accelerating my debt payments. So, I mean, it's I, I, I totally create and believe in that forced scarcity mindset. Um, and I think that's an important thing is that if you are working with an advisor, make sure they feel, you feel like that they walk the walk yeah. that they're preaching yep. to you. And, and I think you, you probably can listen to enough shows. You can tell oh, those guys really are that nerdy. And that's one of the things, you know, I, I felt uncomfortable. And I go on these sidebars too, you know, thanking you guys for the making the, the top hundred list and then the firm making it. And I struggle. Bo picks on me all the time is because. We don't do good at broadcasting how successful things are going. Right. And I think that that is because I, I just believe in number three so much that I live below your means that I also kind of feel like we travel in stealth mode. Yeah. I think people who are in our industry, sometimes that doesn't – some people brag about how much they're doing, and I just – I don't feel comfortable with sure. that. So it's it's one of those things, but I think it ties into we live below our means, so we don't want to – Kind of look like we're showing out. Yep. Number four, you defer gratification. I love this one. When when I used to go speak to high school classes, trying to conf- con- convince them, if you will just get your financial life in order when you graduate from high school, you really are on the path to, to, to finding fulfillment in at least your financial life. There's a lot of other things that go into a fulfilling life, but you at least want to not have that fight that you hear that people have with their spouses, you know, all those stresses that can really make your life just a lot more onerous. So deferring gratification, this is one of those things I always used to talk about. And I loved uh, that program that I was teaching to the high school students was put out by the, the I think it's CUNA or the it's the Credit Union oh, right, Association. Yeah, yeah. Yep. And I was so impressed when I got that curriculum that the, one of the first things it said was defer gra- deferred gratification. So if you can understand that Every dollar that you save today will be worth more later. It's just an incredible concept. That's what will build an empire in the future for you. Yep, absolutely. Um, number five, you focus on your strengths. I mean, this goes back, you know, and I've mentioned this. We, we have a podcast listener who shared with us about his successful children. Um, he, all of his children are adults. They're successful. And he said something that was pretty profound, and I think it ties into you focus on your strengths, which is number five, is he said that he, what he tried to instill in all of his children was is if they could find the thing that they were on this planet that they were better than the other 95% of the planet in, meaning find something that you're passionate about that you're in the top 5%, you're probably going to do okay at it. You know, because his example was like a beautician. You know, you, you hear that your child wants to be a beautician. You might be nervous about that. What does that mean for their life? But he said, look, I guarantee you the people who are in the top 5% of being beauticians are doing handsomely well, six-figure well, because they're the best in the world. And I think, and I started thinking about our clients. We have clients that are making money doing all kind of things. Um, and, and truthfully, if you are in the top 5% of your profession, of your, what you get passionate about, you're going to do well. And I think another thing that's kind of like even a little sub point of under you focus on your strengths is that you understand and recognize your weaknesses. It's impossible to be the best at everything you do. And so sometimes you do have to seek help, whether that be asking for help from a professional uh, or across stuff like that. Or I know that there are things that my wife is fantastic at that I'm miserable at and she compliments me very well there. So understanding where you do 
put your efforts and where you seek to have guidance and help from others can really allow you to make sure you're living your best life and being your best self. And and I feel like I have to kind of to close out this point, I have to give one other thing because in this day and time, a lot of people are not patient. I think it's this fast world we live in, Bo, where everybody thinks I should be good at something instantaneously. And as we know from, from research that's out there, you have to do something for 10,000 hours to get true mastery. So that's, a, that's approximately five years if you're thinking about a traditional 2,000 uh, hour a year type work life. I mean, so it takes five years to get mastery. So I tell that to my young listeners as well as those that are making transitions to new careers. It's okay if you have to work with somebody, if you have to go find the best of the best and work under them and and just get your own feet about you so you understand all the components of what it takes to be a master of, of whatever your passion is. Number six, you see opportunities where others see challenges. But when I see this, you know what I think. Oh, yeah. There's a quote. It's Mr. Warren Buffett. That's right. Be fearful when others are greedy and be greedy when others are fearful. I mean, it is one of the simplest concepts, but truthfully, after going through the dot-com bubble, after going through the Great Recession of 2008, I can tell you as an investor, that is so, so true. Yep. The peak moment of financial... I guess risk is when everybody else is so excited about where the market is. Usually on the nightly news, they're bragging about all-time highs and other things. And then the peak financial opportunity is actually just the opposite. That's when everybody's looking for the exits and going, oh my goodness, I cannot do this because I'm losing my, my I'm losing everything. That's usually the maximum opportunity. No, that's exactly right. And it doesn't just have to be from the investing standpoint. If you work for a large organization and maybe there's a project coming down the pipeline that's going to be a little difficult or a little hard or a little uncomfortable, if you're that person that can say, you know what, I can do this, and whoever your manager, superior, boss, executive, whoever it is, you say, hey, let, let me let me handle that difficult thing. Let me help work us through that. If you're somebody who can recognize that oppor- opportunity, seize the opportunity and turn it into a positive, you're going to set yourself up for huge success. Yeah, and, and, and one of the things that's in the blog post, just being an optimist. I mean, a lot of times when people are looking at the darkest moments, they let themselves get overwhelmed with, with the darkness of the moment. If you can find that sliver of optimism, because that's really what happens on the investing side, is if you have that mindset that things will get better and you start figuring out what steps can I take to ensure that they get better, you're going to find some opportunities that are out there. Number seven, you don't make emotional decisions. And this is a good one. It's so funny, Brian. You know, Dalbar comes out with these studies every single year about um, how the average investor does versus just some popular and some common indices. And what I always find so interesting when they do these Dalbar studies, and if you look at like any material time frame, whether it be five years, 10 years, 15, 20, 30 years, the one reason that they most often cite for why the average investor does so much worse than just a buy and hold indexer is because of behavior. It's that fear and greed concept that you just said, Brian, but it's getting it wrong. They get too scared when things are scary and too excited when things are good. It's that behavior and their uh, their inability to not make emotional decisions that ends up kind of derailing their plans. And it's not only on the investing. The investing is exactly what Bo was talking about, is if you're an investor who freaks out during the dark times, but it's it's also 
the emotional decisions of some people have a pro- propensity when they're, they're stressed out or they have things going on in their life that they want to, to go and go on a shopping spree because that makes them feel better. Yep. There's some, some emotionality to, to the shopping side. There's also people, let's face it, we're in this super low interest rate environment. Yes, it's getting a little bit better because they're raising interest rates, but there is a whole industry set up to where they will tell you if you're fearful, if you're scared about investing, let's, let us, let's take that fear away and let's sell you some equity indexed annuities or something. And that whole industry is set up of trying to make you feel like, hey, take the emotions out of this. We'll make it super safe. As we've explained in other podcasts, yeah, they can take some of that stuff away, but you give up your time. You give up, you have to lock your money up for 10 to 12 years and you usually have to cap how much your upside potential is. There's all kind of things. And the only thing that you benefited was that they scratched the itch of trying to make you feel better on the emotional stress side of things. So make sure you understand everything that goes into making emotional decisions and then try to avoid it. Number eight. This is a big one, and I'm going to pick on. I'm looking to to all my doctor listeners over there. Be patient, because there is something about this is a marathon. When you're when you're working towards building financial independence, this is not a short term transaction. This is something that is going to take many years, including decades, to reach. And sometimes people just aren't willing to wait. You heard me pick on people who are talking about have not ma- hit mastery within their profession, and, and I think that gives them cra- drives them crazy. It's the same thing with your finances, though, too, with people trying to find get-rich-quick schemes. Right, yep. And that's why I pick on my doctors is that they typically are trying to find that people know that they make great incomes and that they come out of school, you know, Ready, hot and ready to try to start building money because they feel like they're a little bit behind financially. They are perfect candidates to be taken advantage of by the get rich quick schemes. So I always tell people, be patient. It's going to take a while to get clear perspective and get your plan set up. And then you just have to make sure you follow through and do those things. If you're somebody out there who's young and maybe you're in college, you're just getting started out in your career, or maybe you're starting a new business, you're starting a new venture. I think patience is key there too, because there's nothing wrong with raw ambition and the desire desire to be successful. But remember, it does take 10,000 hours of doing something to be an expert. So be careful of starting a new endeavor, going in a new direction, and expecting it to be 100% successful day one right off the bat. No, it takes time. So number nine, you're prepared for the unthinkable. Right. This is a big one in the fact that it's it's kind of all-encompassing of a lot of different things. One of the first things we do when you guys reach out to us is we're going to find out if you have kids, then we're going to ask you, okay, if you got kids, do you have wills? Do you have life insurance? You know, all these things to make sure that risk is mitigated as much as possible. So that's why when we say be prepared for the unthinkable is having, you know, your life insurance, your wills. You know, life insurance-wise, we tell people a good rule of thumb is thinking about things of 10 times your income. On top of that um, 10 times your income, you might want to add because uh, that's just to make sure that living expenses are covered for your loved ones, especially if they're counting on your income. You might need to add other things in there, some debt issues if you have big mortgages or if you know that your kids are going to go to some expensive college. You, it, those educational funding and other things go into preparing for that. There's also umbrella insurance and property and casualty. All these things are going to help you prepare for the negative things that could come your way. Two really quick questions for you, Brian. Number one, 
uh, my spouse stays home, doesn't work, doesn't bring in income. So I probably don't need any insurance on them, right? That's what everybody thinks. You know, that's what, what's interesting is that if you are a, a high achiever and you have a spouse that stays home, you know, it's, it's easy to, to kind of think, okay, since they don't earn financially, I don't need to do anything financially for them. That is actually wrong because think about the fact if you lost your significant other, besides the huge, emotional price and cost that is going to have on your productivity. It's also, there is going to be some expenses with hiring somebody to help out with the workload at the house, meaning maybe you have children that you have to go get a nanny or somebody to help out with. There's also going to be lost wages on your part because you're probably going to be so torn up that you need months to recover. So it makes sense to go out there and get some coverage and realize we don't sell life insurance, but it's just one of those things we do advocate for people making sure that you're, you know, minimize and mitigating those risks as much as possible. And Brian, if you were to come to the Hanson household and get in any one of our automobiles, uh, there's going to be about three to four umbrellas in every single automobile we own in various doors. So I feel like I've got umbrellas covered. <laughs> Why in the world do I need umbrella insurance? Well, umbrella insurance is always good, especially, you know, think about things. It's it's simple things. I mean, well, I, I could go so many different ways. That's why I just had an overload. If you have people come work on your house, they fall down, hurt themselves, you know, you need that umbrella coverage to kind of fill in the gaps. We even had umbrella coverage help out with a client whose child, which is funny, this child is actually an adult getting married. This is how long I've been doing this. makes me feel old. But when he was in elementary school, threw a rock, um, hit, hit another child, actually hurt the, hurt the child. They had to go get surgery and other things. The umbrella insurance actually is what saved them when there was a legal matter that came up briefly from that. So the, the umbrella insurance is exactly what it sounds like. It sits on top of your homeowner's insurance. It sits on top of your your property and casualty, like your automobile policies. And then it kind of fills in the gaps. It sits on top and then covers you so that you don't have, uh, you know, hopefully any liability or other concerns that you need to, to, to worry about. So who needs it and how much do they need it? I think definitely people, you know, I, I I match my income. I mean, I match your net worth. So if you're worth a million dollars, you probably need a, a million dollars of of umbrella coverage. If you're worth three million, try to get up to three million. Um, it's it's somebody anybody who has the ability to earn a decent income because as soon as you get an accident, even if you don't have assets, but you just have the ability to earn a decent living. You need umbrella insurance just because you they can latch on to your future earnings. So it makes sense to make sure you, you, you do provide some protection there. Since it covers so many things, I bet that means it's probably pretty expensive. <laughs> and I feel like you know and you're walking me through this checklist. It's cheap, guys. It really is pretty cheap. It's only, you know... Hundred to a few hundred dollars, depending upon what type of multi-line discounts or whatever you qualify with your insurance carrier. But check with your insurance is it, 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 carrier. It's probably something very easily they can add, and it's cheap. This is the last thing I'll throw out on Umbrella Church, just because I was I was uh, meeting with a buddy recently who works for an insurance company here in town. A lot of people don't realize that your umbrella insurance coverage actually covers members of your household living away from home as well. And so you might say, oh, that doesn't sound like me. If you have college-age kids that are going off to college who might not make the most fantastic decisions and they were to make a poor decision because, you know, that's what people do when they're young, your umbrella insurance covers them while they're off at school as well. Good point, Pa. Not that you were, you didn't need that back when I you were in college. It, but... Number 10, you include the entire family in the finances. This is probably, as, especially if you start maybe getting a little gray hair. I'm not quite there yet. I'm getting there. 
Come on now. It's the sunlight. Sun's oh, not is, out, so you can't yeah, see them. Those must just be highlights. Yeah. Bring so, it back to highlights. As you get older, tips. though, it makes sense to kind of bring the family into it because, look, you're not going to be here forever. Nobody has truly figured out how to make this thing work forever. So um, you need to have some discussions. There's some hard discussions, and it might seem really deep and dark to have those discussions. But there does come a point that you do want to involve that your children and bring them on board on the family finances so that they can play a role in knowing what your desires, what your wishes. And truthfully, you might need them to know what's going on. So if you become incapacitated, they, they, they kind of can step in and help you out. I mean, there is a transition that occurs as you age. With, with clients that we work with that we've seen, Brian, do you feel like after a certain age, and I'm, I'm not going to say the age, but you could, it could be 70, 75, 80, have you seen that sometimes it get change gets a little bit harder and opening those doors gets a little more difficult? So if you are someone who either has aging parents or maybe you are an aging parent, it probably makes sense to have these conversations earlier rather than later while everybody's still on the same page. Would you agree? Without with a doubt. I mean, I'm probably within 10 years of yelling at kids and telling them to get off my lawn, you know, just like the grouchy old man would do. I mean, it's, 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 it is one of those things the older I get. It does seem like, and I think this happens to everybody, is that you get set in your ways. I think that's probably the best way of putting it, is that we all just kind of get set in our ways. Remember how good they did it back in that day? You know, that's what everybody has that memory of this um, this golden era. And, and I think that that's why it is important to tackle things while you're still... Mal- malleable in the, in the fact of thinking about things? What? I just think it should be known that you just combined the words attack and tackle, and you created the word attackle things. That, yeah. I'm just adding that to my vocabulary right now. That's fantastic. Well, you know, it's, it's kind of bigly. It's very bigly. <laughs> I love it's, it. It's, um, but it is one of those things. If you can, if you can get your parents, and maybe you're listening and you have parents that are getting older and you know that they need to make changes, this is the time to have those conversations as well. You can be the one that brings it forward as long as you do it from a place of love. I think that's the thing. Um, unfortunately, I've had to deal with situations where sometimes, you, you know, it's, it's people trying to get resources and right. that's not ever a healthy thing where, um, you know, it doesn't need to be from the standpoint of I'm going to make the finances better. It needs to be that from a place of love, we're going to make sure everybody's on the page and that we have a plan of action to yep. move forward. Number 11, and I believe this, you're generous. Obviously, we believe this. Sure. We have the Money Guy podcast, which was a passion project that was started just to help people who didn't qualify to work with um, a professional financial advisor like us. And little did we know this thing was going to turn out to be the greatest decision ever. And I, I truly feel like that that is some providence in the fact that we had such good intentions. But it also goes beyond just being generous with your time and your knowledge. If you can help people out, you know, find your, your, your favorite charity, find organizations that you want to get involved with that you think your resources as well as time can be helpful with. There truly is something about, and I know we hear it, especially around the Christmas time. They always, you hear the saying, it's better to give than to receive. As a kid, I remember thinking, you guys are crazy. There is no way. Cause every time I got a Star Wars, you know, action figure or, or, or something, lunchbox. Buck Rogers lunchbox. Yeah. It's true. I have one. If you come tours, the, do the tour with us in downtown Franklin, you'll see who we're talking about because it's here. Um, you know, it's one of those things where as a child, because I think children are more selfish than generous adults, you, you don't recognize that power. But as you get older, and especially if you start having some success and you feel comfortable, it is fulfilling to give of your time, to give of your resources. And that's probably a great way to kind of close it out because you guys, we love sharing 
our walk towards helping people find financial independence as well as financial fulfillment so they can do all the things that they want to. We have a lot of smart clients that come from being smart listeners of this podcast. And I would just challenge you, you know, look at these things and maybe you're doing every one of these, all these 11 things that we mentioned in the blog post. You know, share this with your family members. Maybe you have some some children or you have a cousin or you have aunts and uncles that aren't making the perfect decisions and share this knowledge with them. Share us because maybe we're the polite way of saying, maybe you're not thinking about your finances right by, by giving them a nudge and a wink to, to look over at the, the Money Guy podcast. But we're loving it. I mean, like I said, 2017 has actually been phenomenal for us so far uh, on getting some of this recognition. You guys are a big part of that. We just want to keep that rolling. Uh, it was great. Last night I got an email from a, a retired CPA listener. Sent us some show topics, Bo. Yeah. So I appreciate you guys listening and actually say when I tell you, hey, you guys drive the boat on this. If there's a show topic that you'd love to hear, send us over some suggestions. We'll look at them and um, see if we can fit them into the the, the the calendar, the editorial calendar. So keep that coming. You can reach out to us directly on the websites, like I'd mentioned on the money guy, moneyguy.com or aboundwealth.com. You, you can, they have a contact section on both those, or you can still write us directly. Um, Mr. Bo Hansen is Bo at moneyguy. That's B-O at moneyguy.com. And I'm Brian Preston. You can write me at Brian at moneyguy.com. We truly appreciate you guys and we look forward to doing this. What, what do you figure, Bo? We've done it 12. You think we got another 20 or 30 in us? I hope so. so. I love it. Look forward to many more episodes to come. Talk to you soon, guys. The Money Guy podcast is hosted by Brian Preston. Brian Preston is a principal with Abound Wealth Management. Abound Wealth Management is a registered investment advisory firm regulated by the Security and Exchange Commission in accordance and compliance with the securities laws and regulations. Abound Wealth Management does not render or offer to render personalized investment or tax advice through the Money Guy podcast. The information provided is for informational purposes only and does not constitute financial, tax, investment, or legal advice. (laughs) 